Good morning, ladies. Welcome to our October Bible Moderators uh, Gathering. Thank you again for your willingness to, to teach and encourage our women and looking at these three post-exilic prophets as we focus and dial in onto the prophet Haggai. Uh, there's some very exciting things for us. You know, the Bible is so relevant The issues they face are the same issues that we face. And there's such glory in the truth and the power and grace of God. So uh, thank you for making the Bible relevant and real to the ladies in your circles. Uh, You know, there are always surprises in life and maybe and in ministry. You probably read perhaps chapters three and four getting ready perhaps for their, our Bible moderator's time. And then when you looked at your notes, you saw three to five. <clears throat> even, a, even on the bookmark, it says three and four. And five is supposed to be next month. Well, one of the Bible moderators who had diligently read her book sent me an email and said, you know, the scripture that you have, Haggai chapter 2, one to nine, that's really in chapter five. And she was right. <clears throat> and so there are four sermons in the book of Haggai. We're looking at two today, which covers chapters three to five, introduction in chapter three about Haggai and his life and ministry. And then chapter four, the first sermon, chapter five, the second. So we're looking at three chapters this month. I know you women are on it. I know you can do it, and uh, (laughs) so, you know, one of the lessons in the book of Haggai, ministry is not smooth, it's not tranquil, there are always issues, there's opposition, there's all kinds of things, and so this is just another preparation in in ministry, Um, and thanks for your going with the flow. But we do have a year verse as well that tithes all of these three minor prophets together, and it's on your handout sheet if you'd like to say it with me. Uh, It's from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Let's read our year verse. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Malachi 4, 2. You know, and some of the themes, even in this verse from Malachi, are really relevant as we think about Haggai. Uh, Here, there's something about revering the name of the Lord, and that's one of the things that emerges in chapter 2 of Haggai. Also, uh, these post-exilic prophets are all about Jesus. Here in Malachi, he's referred to as a son of righteousness, And uh, here we're going to look as the promised Savior is to come, uh, which again is in chapter 2. And so it's very uh, exciting and rewarding uh, to think about the Lord Jesus there throughout all the pages of our Bible. And this sense of joy, leaping like calves from the stall. In our passage, we learn that true joy comes from serving the Lord and in promoting His kingdom. 
not in serving ourselves or living for the things of this world. They, they disappoint. They do not deliver. They make all kinds of empty promises. And so we find even in this one theme verse how relevant it is for our study, but for our, our own lives as well. So let's ask the Lord for his help as we look together at Haggai chapters 1 and 2. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you are a God who speaks. You spoke through your prophet Haggai, and through your word you speak to us. And as those in Haggai's day truly listened and needed your word and sought to obey it, we too ask that you would help us to listen that we would be changed by it, that we would consider our own ways and that we might be renewed in our relation with you in the greatness of your love and awareness of your marvelous presence with us as you call us to the work that you have gifted us for. We give you our praise and we thank you for the great privilege, privilege of being the recipients of your word and for these women who are the teachers of that of your word to others i ask your rich love and marvelous blessings to rest upon them in christ our savior's name we pray amen i've divided this lesson in uh, uh, in with three topics or divisions based on the three chapters that we're looking at today uh, chapter three facts about haggai Chapter 4, I entitled Skewed Views of Priorities, which is uh, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, which is chapter 4 of the next to the last word of Michael Barrett. And then thirdly, Skewed Views of Service. That's chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. In chapter 5, in Michael Barrett's very helpful book, you may have noticed in his book that he's starting to now dive into Scripture and explain it. So several of you have told me that it's much easier to take in this month than the chapters that we had last month. And I think you'll find that going forward, that will continue to be the case because he is getting more textual, more scriptural in that sense of the word, as opposed to just a topical approach. But he does lay out a little bit about Haggai, first of all. Lays a little foundation, a little groundwork. He puts tracks out that we can travel upon as we make our way through the book of Haggai. And of course, one of the great themes of the prophets, including Haggai, is that God has raised them up as his messenger, as his spokesman, as his mouthpiece, the theme of the word of the Lord. The word came to Haggai. The word of God is referred to uh, many times. I believe it's 26 times in this very short, you know, this is only uh, 600 words, at least in the Hebrew. Uh, And so it's a very short It's one of the, as Michael Barrett says, one of the shorter prophets, uh, but it it packs a punch. 
and gets right to the heart of our lives. It's very relevant. Um, Michael Barrett mentions how that the name Haggai means festival. Sorry, look at my notes. Help me out. Festival one. Uh, how? But his his ministry uh, is that of of correction, of rebuke. You know, he doesn't mind calling out their sin. You know, he he puts his finger on it. He's very clear. But it's out of a heart of love, out of a heart of care. Even though I I think I use the word stern or sternly, and Michael Barrett does, I'm not sure if it's really stern. It's direct. I use that word, but I think it may just be more direct and direct out of care, out of love. He knows there's consequence to a life lived out of fellowship with God and their consequence to our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes. And he wants them and God would have us to have thoughts, attitudes, and actions that correspond with what we believe. Remember, he lays out the tension. I think fairly early on, although I put it in my notes a little bit later, I think there's a, you know, he lays out the difference between uh, creed, our belief, what we believe, and the reality of how we live. He called it existence. I think I called it practice. Remember, uh, we know that God's word is true and that it's sufficient for faith and practice. You know, what we believe about God, faith, a body of belief, belief and truth and teaching, but also there's life or existence, as he called it, or practice, how we order our lives, how we live our lives, whether our lives correspond with what we affirm with our lips. Um, The people of God were called called as they're back in the land, called with a particular task. And they began that task, and we'll look at this more, with uh, some fortitude, some intentionality. But they got easily discouraged, distracted. And the work that began came rather rapidly, to a halt. And so God raises up the prophet, Haggai, that the people of God would get back to what God had called them to, the joyful task, the hard work, of rebuilding the temple. Uh, And to do so, he addresses the issues of their lives without mincing words. He's very clear He's very direct. But isn't, isn't it not helpful when someone is honest and direct, loving, but honest and direct with you? Maybe it's not easy to take in. Maybe you know our, our, we can defend ourselves as we see they kind of give some explanation. Uh, but isn't it most helpful? Isn't that good parenting with our children to be honest with them and to be direct? Um, And so anyway, we find him to be a prophet who is very concerned for the people of God, concerned 
that they have misplaced priorities or that their priorities are against what God has revealed in his word. It's more than just misplaced priorities and uh, that they've lost their sense of a clear vision of what they are to be doing. That they have, um, I'll throw out the phrase, express it this way, they have spiritual amnesia that they have forgotten spiritually who they are to be, and they're not living in light of that reality. So the book of Haggai is uh, developed along six dates, and Michael Barrett goes into some detail here, uh, talking about how the two of them overlapping are incidental, but for our purposes, there are six dates Uh, that lay out the book. And the book is a a short period of time. Uh, This is a short, as Michael Barrett says, sermon series from sixth month to the ninth month from our September to our December. So it would be around this time of the year in our calendar that Haggai was speaking to the people who returned that they might resume the work of rebuilding the temple, of putting God first. Uh, Haggai reminds them that there is nothing more important than the work that God has called us to. And calling them to rebuild the temple, God is really rebuilding their lives reorienting them, saying that their lives are on a new foundation based on his word and on fellowship with him. And I think this is so wonderful to, for, our, for us as the Lord's people to capture this. God has a work for you to do. Your women need to know that God has an important work for them to do. He's given them gifts and talents and abilities to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. And I think there's much that we can learn and find such refreshment and strength and freedom and challenge in this book. He calls us to renewed dedication and a determination of making God's cause our priority. I'm going to just pause here for just a moment. We like to do this at different points in our Bible moderator's time. If you have a comment or a question, this is just the opening chapter. And then we'll dive in to look at Haggai chapters 1, one through 2.9. Yes. resonates with me because my my CPA practice life has been one of directness (laughs) and I've seen how people react to that they're not happy um, you know about many many things I would say the fact that Haggai was an effective speaker was clearly the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of um, his hearers 
that they wouldn't just normally roll over and say, oh, gosh, thanks for being so direct, Haggai. <laughs> Clearly, the spirit, of, the spirit of God was at work among his people as they heard his word. And it is, uh, you know, we, we learn, you know, um, it isn't so much, it's faithfulness in ministry, faithfulness in service. And God can use a Haggai. He can use, you know, um, the jawbone of a donkey. He can, you know, he, he can use you and me with our own weakness and inabilities to further his kingdom. Um, yes. The seriousness of it, um, the fact that she's turned away from they've turned away from the works of God to their what you know, their earthly needs. Yeah. It's a form of idolatry. I mean, what is more serious yes. than that? True. Um, no wonder. I mean, to come, you have to be direct about that. That is the ultimate sin um, to place your earthly needs before kingdom needs, and that's that called for direct language. Yes. In 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 our, I think it may be chapter five. I mentioned this in the back of the notes, I believe. If loving God, this is kind of a paraphrase of what he wrote. If loving God is the greatest commandment, then not loving him and making him the first priority is the greatest sin. So it is. These are big issues, issues of idolatry. <laughs> uh, but I mean, when you think about it, that makes complete sense. Sure. And that's what I thought was, well, it's not the greatest thing because yeah. it's forgivable. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I was just... No, uh, I, I think, I yeah, I mean, I'm sure the un- the unforgivable sin indeed is a sin for which there cannot be forgiveness right. <laughs> or pardon. And there is forgiveness with this. Right. And he, I don't think he was writing it in an absolute sense. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so I'm sure I know, I know well, we were, we're all oriented differently. Uh, and that's a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> the different gift, gifting to Christ's people. And uh, so I think in more of a, not in a literal sense here, but more just a conceptual way in which it is a serious, it is a great sin is what he's driving at with maybe maybe slight hyperbole. No, you're fine. Uh, I thought I saw something. Was there a hand over this way? You want to make your second okay. point and then we're going to press on. To... This may be um, something that you all talked about last month or even I'm being really dumb epiphany but the the this is so remarkably just a continuation of revelation and in mark ross's sunday school class we're talking he's he spent the last couple of sundays talking about the prophecies in isaiah and basically i mean this is all just one big thing yes there's a i'm saying you know there is a unity to the bible (laughs) but but the message is so relevant today right. as we're dealing with just the, 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 the world is coming unglued because we've turned our backs yes. on God. Yes. So. Well, well, that's very helpful in how, how true. And we'll see that even in his first sermon. So look, let's look at the first, or as I listed here, the second, second point. Shewed, skewed, rather, views of priorities. You know, this first sermon is uh, dated June 
520 B.C., which would be closer to our equivalent of September. Uh, and he rebukes the people for their skewed priorities of putting their own concerns and their own comforts ahead of the work of the Lord. Remember, as uh, they came to the land, back to the land of promise, they came with a, a mission, they came with a task, they came with uh, energy and focus for the rebuilding of the temple. Even the Persian pagan king Cyrus was used by God uh, that they might be allowed to go. Uh, and he even furnished supplies and returned the stolen items, utensils, that were taken when uh, Jerusalem was raised by the Babylonians previously. And... Uh, But their initial enthusiasm and energy waned. You know, I was thinking the other day, I was talking with my brother and talking about the number of things that I started and did not finish. Piano, guitar, almost an Eagle Scout. Uh, There is a litany of things. We begin things, there can be a measure of some enthusiasm. Y'all probably followed things through more perhaps than I did when I was younger. But the people of God began and stopped. And God has raised up Haggai that they may resume the wonderful, though perhaps very difficult, work that God was calling them to in the rebuilding of the temple. They turned aside from the temple for at least a decade. Uh, What once was their first priority, as my son likes to say, tier one priority in life has now become their last, uh, their apparent last priority. Priority. Their priorities are skewed. Instead of making God great, their focus is on themselves. And it is interesting, as Michael Barrett mentions, that that Haggai brings this first sermon on the first day of the month, which was the day of special sacrifice and worship, a reminder to the people of what they were to be doing and yet had turned aside from. Um, And so he calls them in chapter 1, verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's clear. That's direct. He's wanting them to evaluate their lives. Consider their priorities. Uh, This word, consider their ways, has to do with both their inner attitude and conviction of their heart, but also the expression of that in the way in which they conducted themselves and their habits and customs and how they spent their time. I think this perhaps is where uh, Michael Barrett talks about the tension between 
uh, belief and I'll call it practice. He called it creed and circumstance um, where uh, the people had a great misunderstanding. Part of their understanding that was in error is that if God wants us to build this temple, then there would not be this opposition. It's a twisted way of thinking. It may be, you know, if, if God's in it, then it's going to be relatively easy. It, 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 is a, a, it is kind of that uh, prosperity mentality, isn't it? Is what you're kind of getting at. That, uh, that once, once you turn to God, life, you're on easy street. <laughs> and I recently, um, now I mentioned this about a week, two weeks ago on a Wednesday lunch, so I don't want to rehearse it too much, but uh, you know, a man came to me who was a relatively new Christian and said that he had become a Christian and thought things would, would things had changed in his life, but he thought things would be so much easier. And I mean, he was sincere. He wasn't raised in the church. He didn't know, you know, he just heard people talking about how wonderful the Lord is. And, you know, and he, he went on to enumerate all the challenges that he was facing. Now, he was not one to throw the towel in on his faith, uh, but these ones were throwing the towel in on the work that God was calling them to because it was not easy. In the book of the book of Ezra, chapter four, lays out some of the the difficulty. Then the people. This is verse four, and I think I'll read five too. Then the people of the land. That's that those who were the inhabitants in the promised land when the people of God returned. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so opposition, those who are opposed to God, we are in a battle. We read in the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, the conflict between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And that conflict is played out throughout the scriptures. We're engaged in that. We know that ultimately that the Lord Jesus will triumph, that he's triumphed through the cross over the devil. And a day will come... come as we saw in Revelation, where the devil will be cast into the pit. But we're still in skirmishes. I think it's interesting. I just caught this. He, he called himself the Lord of Hosts, but, and that represents the one leading in the battle, doesn't it? It is. It is a military phrase. Of God is a, a warrior. Uh, and it is a warfare. I mean, think about it. Yes. Go on the mission field. Go across the street. Your non-Christian neighbors, your children that are in school with other kids, your, you about name it as our world is increasingly opposed to the Lord and his gospel 
and wanting to squeeze us into the mold of the world. We find that politically. I'm not, I'm not talking about one political party. I'm talking about political ethics and things, a perspective on, on uh, LBGQT and that kind of thing. Yes? You know, another thing that comes out in this first sermon, I think is such an important point, is that and it's kind of ironic, too, that by focusing on their own lives and their own prosperity, they actually, it was counterproductive. Because yes. it was like having earning wages and putting them into a bag with holes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, that's such an important point. And mm-hmm. it, it brings to mind the scripture, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things mm-hmm. will be added to you. When you're yes. focusing on Christ, those things will come as he wants them to. So and well put. Focusing on them, they seem to, they don't satisfy, and they they just dissipate. Absolutely. So I think you know, that's a, a real practical He's really driving home to them how that as you put your love and trust in the things of this world, that you'll be sorely disappointed. And he's driving it home how that you've planted but you haven't reaped. You know, you have holes. It's it's as if you have holes in your pocket and things like that. He enumerates. Yes. When they first return and they clear away the rubble and they put the um, they put the the uh, altar back up to do the sacrifice. Yes. The first sacrifice they do, isn't it the sacrifice of the tabernacle? Yes, it which is. represents how the no. people, the, the Exodus, how the, God provided for all of their needs. They relied on God for everything in the desert. And it's sort of ironic that, you know, here they drift away from that. You know, so initially, again, doing for the right purposes, you know, right. with all that zeal, but the drifting away and forgetting to rely on God for all of those mm-hmm. things. So that, I thought that was really ironic. Yes. Yeah. This world does not satisfy. And I think that's a, one, a summary of the second part of his message to them is to know that this world does not satisfy. Yes. I think it's interesting that because what kept on coming to me is as you said priorities because there's like and I think it's as women here there's nothing wrong with making your house look Mm -hmm. nice okay yes but it's when that becomes your focus to the exclusion of everything else then that's a problem you know and um I think you know it reminds me sadly of things in my own life when I determined to go out and buy something, okay, something I needed. And the more time I spent, took time away from everything else, to buy that sofa or whatever it is, the least, less success I had, <laughs> you know, till, and there was nothing wrong with the idea that, gosh, the sofa's falling apart, we need a new sofa. But it, it was the, the, Putting everything else aside, to the to the priority became that, right? You know, to the exclusion of everything else, and at the end you had nothing. You know, it's the <laughs> as Haggai describes and as Michael Barrett summarizes, it's the rat race of life. You know, and you don't truly enjoy when that becomes your primary focus. 
uh, in life. Yeah, nothing's wrong. We, we, need, we do need panels on our houses. We need walls. <laughs> and uh, the Lord knows that. And um, though the Lord Jesus had no place to lay his head, doesn't mean he calls each of his children to that. It's appropriate for us to have houses and other things. And uh, it's a question of what is it that we delight in? What, what brings us true satisfaction in life? Certainly, tending to a home is a, a noble and a great thing. But the real desire, the real ambition of the Christian is to seek to please the Lord. That's our new ambition, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5. We make it our aim to please Him. And part of that is being part of His people and part of advancing His cause. Uh, you just triggered something in my brain when you were talking about Jesus not having a place to lay His head. Yeah. But He did have a place to lay His head. But He gave it. He put it aside to take care of what mm-hmm. His mission was here. And I think that uh, that's kind of where we are. We, we can look at that, and, and you know, we we. Mm-hmm. Our, our most important thing is, is our worship of Him and so forth and making Him the first priority in our life. And all of these other things we can lay aside for the moment yes. as He did and do the same thing. We worship on the day of resurrection, the first day of the week. And uh, it is uh, the Lord's Day. And uh, going back to that altar that was mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, you know, the... The temple was more than just a building. It stood for more than just a place. The sacrifices were there, which were essential. If you think about it in terms of uh, without sacrifice, how can a whole unholy person approach and have fellowship with a holy, righteous God? The whole Old Testament is about sacrifices. Uh, the tabernacle and then the temple was also stood for God being with his people. The tabernacle was a mobile tabernacle even that would travel. Uh, and so God was among and with his people. And here in the temple, now in the land of promise that he had given to them, it stood for more than just the walls, even more than the sacrifices important as the sacrifices are and so ultimately you know the temple is significant because it stands ultimately it's 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 a sign that points to that greater sacrifice that once for all sacrifice of our savior jesus and it points to that covenant fellowship with god that we have because of christ you know he now indwells us by his spirit um, it, and, and so the temple was more than just a building for God. What it stood for and the centrality and importance of it were essential. And so to turn your back on the temple and on, especially when you think of all that it represents, as Michael Barrett says, is, is against the message of the Bible, against the gospel. Uh, an orientation of life for self instead of for uh, 
the Lord. It's a turning aside from sacrifices, promises, as I put in the notes, even the message of the gospel. And so they gave themselves to remodeling or living in paneled houses while the temple of God lay in ruins. And that's the image that he is driving home to them, along with the consequences uh, that we've already mentioned. You know, they never had enough living paycheck to paycheck with holes, as it were, in their pockets economically. Because God loved them, and he was trying to get their attention. And if you focus on the things of this world, the things of this world are not going to satisfy or deliver for you. Only I, you know, you're meant for fellowship, for worship, for communion with the true and living God. It was God's love that through pursuing these things of the world that don't bring any meaning, that God was at work by his spirit, preparing them for the message of the prophet, consider your ways. Um, So that's the first kind of sections of his sermon but he concludes, he gives a, a bit of a, a narrative of, of how the people received the word. You know, sometimes in the Bible we hear the message. Occasionally we hear how the people respond, but not always. And here it's very clear how the people responded so that we too can learn from them. We've been given even a clearer word, uh, a greater promise through the Lord Jesus. And so how is it that they heard and responded to the word of the Lord? We learn that, uh, that they, first of all, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, in the words of Haggai the prophet. Uh, and so Haggai, his voice, his words, and God's word and words are linked together. But they obeyed that voice. That was their first, that was their prompt response to what they had heard. Ten years of not building the temple. One sermon. (laughs) And God worked through that message. Praise God. He's able to use his word. And that that happens in many, many times. And it happens as as the people, by God's grace, are receptive to hear, to receive to order their lives, to evaluate their lives from what they believe and how they live, to consider their ways, as Haggai is saying, that their ways may change and they'd be oriented with proper priorities with the Lord. So he says that they obeyed. And then secondly, we read that they feared the Lord. Uh, And the people feared the Lord, verse 12. You know, it's so frequently said that we worship what we fear. The things that loom large in our lives are very important. And so here, they allowed the people in the land whom they could see appeared large to them. And God, whom they could not see, was dwarfed. And so... They lived out of a fear of men or for men 
instead of that vital fear, that love and respect for the Lord that fuels life and faith and ministry. Thirdly, uh, we read that they became doers of the word, that they were not only hearers of God's word. You know, that God stirred them up by his Holy Spirit, as was mentioned earlier, to receive the word. And God did, God was doing a great work through them. Let me pause here for a moment. I, I want us to look at this third sermon in a couple minutes. Second sermon, rather, the third chapter we're looking at, our point three, which is chapter five. Thoughts on this sermon, this first sermon. Let me ask you this. Tell me, the ladies in your circle, what do you think some of their needs are? How how would what Haggai say in this first sermon maybe encourage or challenge or touch their lives? Yeah. Yeah. Discouragement has such a power to to kind of immobilize us. <laughs> to you know, keep us from go ahead. I, no, I, that was just yeah, yeah. yeah. I was in a Bible study one time and the teacher said, Is it a brick wall or a pile of bricks? Hmm. Is yeah. it a brick wall or is it a pile of bricks you can move one by oh. one? Yes. And I think about that many times when I just feel like this is going nowhere. And just stepping back and saying, okay, is this a brick wall? Is this God saying, not going here? Or is this a pile of bricks that I just have to move one by one? And that helps a lot mm. to have that picture mm-hmm. of that. But I think everybody um, experiences discouragement, maybe not all the time, but there's something out there. Yeah. And, and some are more prone to discouragement at times than others. We all have certain areas of challenge. But uh, it's why it's important we kind of have relationships with one another and strengthen and help each other to deal with issues of any discouragement. How about other thoughts anyone has on this first sermon as you think about your women? and all of that I mean it relates to everyone <clears throat> and I think that you know I mean this is so so very applicable I think yeah. everybody should relate to it <clears throat> you know we, we get we allow ourselves to become so busy mm-hmm. that we don't have time in our lives anymore for certain things that we maybe would like to do things we know are good or important um, you know it's often been said if you want to know someone's priorities, you know, you look in their checkbook or their credit cards, what they're doing with their resources that God's entrusted to them. And then well, my calendar's on my phone. What, what are the, look at their calendar. What, what are they doing with their time? These things reveal kind of, kind of where we are. You know, I really I question whether we are really that much busier today than we were, say, 200 years ago when the country was settled. If you, I've sure. been doing a lot of historic reading yeah. over the last several years. And if you look at the life of women um, who came here in the 17 and early 1800s, you know, they, yeah. they didn't work out work outside the home, but they worked 
sure. 12 and 15 hour days in the home. And, and if you read some of the stuff about the, what, the women's lives during the Revolutionary War, they not only had to see to the household chores, but they also had to manage the farms while their husbands were off fighting. I think the busyness that we have today isn't in place in one location where you're fixed on a farm and people are far away, you have so many more opportunities mm -hmm. to be busy and you sure. women are working and yeah. you know, you have the to-do list. But I don't think busyness by itself is any different today than it was when Haggai was sure. sermonizing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well I think with, you know, many of the ladies that I've um, teach or, or come around, yeah. um, there's just a search for something significant. They don't feel like they're significant. They don't feel like that um, what they do in their lives is significant. They're searching for satisfaction. Well, if I if I join this, if I get with this, if I do this, then I'm going to be happier. Um, and I think back to your the man that approached you. When some people come to the Lord, they feel like that their finances are going to correct themselves, their job their relationships and all these things are just going to correct themselves but they don't actually um, have purpose in those things when someone comes to the Lord they have purpose and they need to pray for that purpose for God's kingdom to be furthered and for him to show them what gifts and talents he wants them to use um, but I think that then people who don't have the Lord it's just an existence trying yeah. to get satisfaction in any place, but they, they don't have that purpose. And I've heard a lot of women say, you know, I just don't feel like I have a purpose. And I'm going, what? You know, you have four kids, you have a husband, you have, you know, all of this. So I think it's the way some women look at themselves. They don't think that their lives are significant because they don't have this talent or this gift. But um, Ferguson last week, you know, in his devotion said, yes, these talents and gifts are um, significant to glorify the Lord to develop them yes but the most significant thing is to draw closer to the likeness of Christ period that is the most important thing and so I think that Haggai is trying to make these people realize look you just spin your wheels this is what is most important and that's what I think we do with all of our ladies um, my, my whole theme for this year is what is your divine calling and what is God equipping you for? He doesn't just do it to the prophets. No. What is your divine calling? It may be the gift of hospitality mm -hmm. going in and, and talking to someone who's had a loss or who's having a, um, a lot of trouble and, and just that kindness and that one thing that can make a big difference in that person's life. That is significant. Mm -hmm. But people don't look at it that way. So I'm trying to just get in these ladies' heads. Say, what's your divine calling? You know, when we were teaching about Paul and all his missionary journeys, the first, th first thing I said was, what's your missionary journey? And they went, what? I'm not a missionary. Yeah, whatever. I have a missionary journey, and it certainly isn't overseas. But it's in different circles and different things. Sure. So anyway, I think about that all the time with the ladies. And I, and, but I do sense a lack of purpose. I sense... Um, I do sense discouragement, I, a lack of significance in their lives. What am I going to be when I'm when I grow up? And that's a 50-year-old woman that says this. Um, you know, all of these things go around in women's minds, and, sure. and I think that it um, sometimes 
prevents them from being uh, effective in their walk. Part of what you're saying is a marvelous sub- segue to our next point, mm-hmm. which is the second sermon, which is chapter five in our book, which we've we, we've considered <laughs> we've considered a, a skewed view of priorities, but there's also they had a skewed view of their service, of their service for the Lord uh, when they were doing the work. Uh, comparison is not always a helpful thing. They were, there was a comparison between this temple work that they were doing versus the temple that Solomon and others constructed, the first temple as it were we read more about this in the book of Ezra where there was actual weeping and many people that had seen the previous temple themselves were were very discouraged another type of discouragement uh, kind of doing your work but doing it in a way where you don't see the bigger picture you don't see how that what you're doing is significant and ties in with what God is doing and what God has said uh, in his word. And so here there is a great uh, encouragement as um, Haggai reminds them that there's a difference between appearance and reality. The appearance is that the temple was not as grand. It would not be as grand. It would not be as spectacular or majestic or beautiful as the temple that Solomon built. That was the reality. And they were greatly discouraged by that. They were looking back to the good old days. (laughs) How wonderful it was when we had this previous temple. And that was a a further discouragement for them that their own efforts were not measuring up to the previous glory. You know, that can be a very difficult thing when you're trying to do something and you're comparing it or there is a comparison between what you're doing and what had been done in the past and the reality that what you are doing falls short in comparison. Say that again. Okay, sure. Working a small, a small choir, a small church. Yeah. Yes. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Hearing about big things and grand things and exactly that's not what I can do there. Yeah. And also, I think, don't you think that at some point there is a regret in those people that here we had this fabulous synagogue and. We, we took it for granted, and we didn't worship the way we should. And and if we, you know, I, I, I'm one of the, you know, you, that ain't it awful, you know, that if I had if I had done this, if I, I wish I had appreciated what I had, and then maybe if we had done that, then maybe we would still have that gorgeous thing. And sometimes um, there's that. Re- that regret for the past, but also, I mean, it's 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 a hard balance. You know, you think about, I think about the Civil War and, you know, those fabulous houses and they go back and they're not there. And you think, what what could we have done differently? And why, it, it's, it, it was hard for them. Yeah. 
It, and you know, and then they they build it, but they it's complicated. I this just this conversation reminded me of one of my favorite verses in Philippians when he says he's talking about attaining to what Christ has for him, and he says. Um, I don't. I haven't laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. And I, I think that's what you know. If you're always doing this, you're gonna, you're never gonna get anywhere. You know, because you can't see where you're going. Right. So um, we have to, we have to look forward to what God has for us. He points them forward to what God's plan is for this temple. And in doing so, he reminds them that true success in ministry is not the outward appearance of things. Bigness doesn't mean success in ministry. A big church doesn't mean growing numbers, growing finances, bigger buildings, does not mean that does not mean you're being successful according to the Lord's word. It's faithfulness. It's obedience from the heart. It's doing whatever you do for God's honor and glory. The Lord, man, men look on the outside. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. And there's a mystery here. And I, we need to hear this in a large church that appears to have, humanly speaking, some success. Numbers are not insignificant, but numbers are not where is what really matters. And uh, we need to have this driven home to us. Uh, These people needed that reminder that what they were doing was important. The women in our church need to know what they are doing. Changing that diaper, perhaps it could be. It could be preparing a meal for someone. It has significance And you never know what will be the outcome of that ministry effort as you're doing it for the glory and honor of Christ. Uh, Think of the stories like uh, the person that shared the gospel with Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham had no idea what God would do in and through them or with a number of missionaries uh, uh, that have served the Lord Jesus. And so he's calling them to faithfulness. And part of what he's calling them to is to see, to live by faith in their ministry and not just by sight. It may be a day of small things right now. It was for them. But God is going to do a great thing uh, at this temple in such a way that the glory of this temple, I think it's verse 9, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. The glory that will appear and come to this temple was truly would be magnificent. And here again, this glory has to do with part of the purpose of the temple. It's to point ultimately to the great Redeemer, And our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who offered that perfect sacrifice. 
who himself is the Shekinah glory of God, he is the one who would come to this temple. And there's a day spoken of, a day yet to come, in which the nations will be shaken, as he describes here. Once more, in a little while, I know this is sung in Messiah, I will shake the nations and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations, I think he's, there are different translations of that word treasures. He goes into some detail there. <clears throat> Shall come in and I will fill this house with the glory, with this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai reminds them of what God is going to do. He's putting in perspective what they're doing with what God will do later. Reminding them that they have a purpose and a significance to what God has called them to do in building this temple. For a great, it is a temple of a greater glory. The glory, ultimately, of our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. Um, he is the one who is the one whom we treasure He is the pearl of great price. He is that treasure in the field that you must have and sell all that you have so that you might have this one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what will fuel, will reorient our priorities and straighten any skewed view of service or ministry. Uh, It is Christ himself who is with us, is the fulfillment of the promises spoken of here in the book of Haggai. So as you go through this, I encourage you to let the ladies see the Lord Jesus as he is here in this passage as well, that they may find encouragement in the ministry to which God is calling them to. And see, though it may be small and insignificant, at a human level, to know that God is at work and will bring glory to his son through their ministry and service for him. Well, I think we're almost to our hour, so let's give our thanks, our praise to God together. Our Heavenly Father, how good and kind you are. We praise you for the greater glory that came to the temple, our Savior, Jesus a Savior who is present with each of us by His Spirit. Thank you for the gifts that you have given your people and the gifts you have given these women who who teach, who encourage the ladies in their circle, who point them to you and to your Word and to our Savior. I pray for your hand of encouragement and refreshment. We pray that you might reorient our priorities, that we might truly delight in you and love you from our hearts that this would fuel service and ministry for others looking not for the praise of men but doing it out of a a love a reverence a fear for you that we might be strong and courageous and not afraid uh, as we find the admonition to the people in Haggai's day we give you our thanks and commit ourselves to you. And I thank you for these dear women and commit them to you. In Christ.
our Savior's name we pray. Amen.